One of the benefits of being a pastoral counselor is I have the privilege of being able to see the unvarnished effects of sin on people's lives, of depravity on nature, and the power and the working of grace on those same people in their heart, mind, and will. And I can testify personally that there is this mindset within American Christianity that somehow uh, the, the less theology you know, the better. You just need to know Jesus. You just need to be happy. You just need to love Jesus and love people, and everything will be fine. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that sometimes. The, sim- the simplistic view of that is so simple-minded and so destructive. Um, it, it's something that I lived with as a young man for 20 years uh, in my first denomination. I, 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 everybody was just happy, clappy, shiny, happy people all the time. And it was just a, a veneer. If you scratch the surface, you saw the, the, the guilt and the anxiety and the fear of, of their own depravity working out in their relationships, uh, in their marriages, in their, in their relationships with their children. You saw the decadence or the greed or the um, uh, ego at work in many of our pastors. It was just horrendous, and it was just heinous. So theology matters. Let me just give you one brief example. When I was, as a young man, I was saved out of a life of drugs and rock and roll. I mean, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That was my answer. I discovered those early at only 14 years old, and so um, I had a whole dose of that by the time uh, I had heard anything about the gospel. I heard about God. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I didn't have any real background or catechism. Uh, And so for me to begin to run into these uh, Christians in high school who were clearly enjoying life more than I was, (laughs) and clearly had something that I wanted, and as I engaged with some of them, and they began to share their testimony, my heart was strangely warmed, as John Wesley once said, and my mind was open to the gospel, and praying as I only knew how to pray, and prayed with some of these people, uh, and began to attach myself to these morning Bible studies, sing-alongs, and so along, um, with uh, the Christians in my high school class, I had a genuine conversion experience. I mean, Jesus became very real to me, and I began to love my Bible, uh, and I began to to um, love God's people, and uh, the, the fellowship I found with these uh, young Christian people in high school was so much more beautiful than anything that I had experienced in the the moral decadence of my fellow druggies and and musicians. Uh, but certainly after high school, uh, my heart was broken. The girl that I had been with for most of my high school years, uh, who was a good Catholic, but she wasn't a Christian, um, uh, left me 
dumped me, if you will, for a, another fellow who happened to be a, a Christian as well. So I, I was just utterly confused, heartbroken, and had no way to how, how to handle that pain and had not yet developed a good support group of Christian uh, brothers and sisters. Most of them had, after high school, went off to college and, and that whole um, community of which I had become a part uh, dissipated. So I was kind of left alone with my own resources, relapsed into drugs and alcohol and and music and, and even sexual promiscuity for a season. Uh, it, it proved, of course, empty, and um, and my heart was broken even further that I had drifted away from the, uh, the Lord and ended up in a pig pen of my own making. Uh, the problem was is that all the emotion, all the delight, all the joy that I initially found in Christ uh, had also uh, vanished. I, I, my heart was cold, my mind was empty, my, my fears were realized, and I interpreted that as meaning that I had fallen away and couldn't be uh, renewed, couldn't be restored, that I had committed the unforgivable sin. And as an 18-year-old young man. I mean, that that just played into a lot of abandonment issues that came out of my family system. And and so God had abandoned me too. It made total sense to me that God would abandon me after all my behavior uh, warranted that. And, um, and so I went to a steep depression for a couple of years and uh, spiritual depression as well. There's no depression worse than spiritual depression. And it's bad enough to think that your family or you experience the abandonment issues with with uh, friends and family and girlfriends. Uh, but it's another thing altogether to think that God's abandoned you. And all that played well into my family history. And so it was very easy. It's very easy uh, um, step, next step for me to assume that all the abandonment that I was experiencing and what the, the breakup with my girlfriend had triggered in me uh, sent me into a great deal of pain that was so unmanageable. And then on top of that, that, that God, I had proved wor- unworthy of God's faithfulness to me and that I uh, therefore had been abandoned by God. And my only hope was that maybe, just maybe, I could talk him into forgiving me or if I could do enough good stuff or... I could be a good enough Christian or or what have you. And so I, I just it was just a very confusing, twisted time. And and while a pastor here and a, and a Christian there would try to comfort me and encourage me, uh, I was really in just this, this locked-in mode. It was only a matter of trying to become more manageable. I wasn't being healed. I was just trying to manage that anxiety. That is until I began to study for myself both church history and biblical theology. Because the denomination that I was in certainly taught that you came into Christ by an act of your free will, and that you were able, therefore, to resist and to even abandon God on that same basis of free will and lose your salvation— and while they were ironically trying to comfort me, some of the pastors in that denomination, they held a theology that said, uh, that said, you know, 
you yeah you could lose your salvation and you could fall away irreparably and 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 yet here's this person me in front of them saying i think i've done all this and they're saying no 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 i mean they were not being consistent with their own theology i was taking it to heart I, they taught me you know that you're in relationship with god but on the basis of your free will you're on the, and you can lose your salvation on that same basis of free will Jesus only made salvation possible. He never secured anything for any particular individual. I mean, the the insidious devotion that these people had to man-centered theology seemed philosophically correct, but I was a living, walking, talking train wreck of a Christian because the theology I was getting, the teaching I was getting, facilitated that in my life. It enabled that, and it, it reinforced that in my life. What I'm saying is that the, the theology I was getting reinforced everything that Satan had already accomplished in my uh, childhood and in my wayward behavior. It was just a Christianized version of the same destruction. Same message. God loves you conditionally. God's done all he can do. I even had a pastor tell me, you know, Rick, uh, Jesus has done all he can do for you. It's up to you now. If anybody ever says that to you, turn and run out of the building screaming. <laughs> Just this, this impotent, Jesus that some of these people teach and preach. It's just unbelievable. Or somebody says, you, you know, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He'll never force anything upon you. Turn and run out of the building. I mean, they're making everything that God would desire to do in your life. That God would really wants to save you, but it's really, he can't do that without your permission, without your continued permission. And and if you decide against it later, God will step aside and let you go to hell. What kind of a gospel is that? Now, it was only when I began to study historic theology, both in church history and biblical theology, most importantly, that I began to realize that Jesus didn't just make my salvation possible. He atoned and secured my salvation that the Father had elected me, not just a people in general, a nameless, faceless masses of people, but that Christ knows his sheep by name. That redemption is intensely personal and individual, as well as corporate, of course. But that Father, the Father had elected me to redemption, that I would be holy and blameless before him in eternity, before the foundations of the world. And he sent his Son into the world to redeem Rick Peterson. Now, let me invite you to take that sentence and put your name in there. For example... The father elected Jane Doe. 
He sent his son into the world to redeem Jane Doe, or John Doe, <laughs> as the case may be. And he, and the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, whereby he then regenerates through the hearing of the gospel, regenerates new life, makes us alive, Ephesians 2, 1 through 8, and imparts the ability to believe and be united to Christ in his death and resurrection so that your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. See, I, I was able to accept that God initially forgave all of my sins up to my baptism. That was a pretty easy thing to believe. It was those sins that I committed afterwards and the relapse here and there that I really had a hard time accepting. I mean, wasn't I just showing myself to be unworthy of salvation? Yes. <laughs> yes, I sure was. But nobody ever said, but Rick, it's not based upon your worthiness. It's not based upon you doing too, too many bad things or enough good things <laughs> or avoiding the grosser moral sins so that God doesn't have to turn away from you. No, it, it, it's, it's, salvation is of the Lord. He elects, he redeems, the Son redeems, and the Spirit regenerates and seals us for salvation. So if you're struggling with the assurance of salvation, I think if we were to isolate one fear that most Christians have when they lay their head on their pillow at night and that they're absolutely honest with themselves, it is, how do I know that I'm saved and how do I know I'm going to remain saved? How, how, where do I find assurance? Where do I find assurance that I'm saved? And how do I know I will persevere? Now, folks, that, the, the right answer to that question, those questions, has, has very serious implications for your mental, emotional, and relational health. I mean, if you're struggling with whether or not God actually is vested in your redemption or that he just made salvation possible up to you, it's a great struggle. And it will come out in your relationships with other people as well as your relationship with yourself, your body itself. And people have migraines and headaches and all kinds of physical problems tied to spiritual depression and fear. So you can have assurance today, but you let me just say and end with this. You must look outside yourself. Luther called it an alien righteousness. As long as your eyes are fixed upon yourself, you're doomed. Listen, God did not send his son into the world to make it possible for you to save yourself. God sent his son into the world to secure your salvation permanently, to atone for your sins, past, present, future. Yes, all of your sins. The blood of Jesus is effectual. So take heart. 
And I hope you keep coming back. We are very interested in your health, your spiritual health, your mental health, your relational health, as I know you are yourself. Tell your friends. Let me know if you want. Uh, you can email me at encounterrecovery at gmail.com. Let me know what what you need, what what you want to hear. If you're in early recovery and and you're uh, and everyone is to some degree or another in recovery, but particularly if you're in recovery from drugs and alcohol or other compulsive and destructive behaviors, and you want to know what it means to be a Christian, then or or you are a Christian, you're just struggling in some way. Uh, let me know what you need. Send me your questions. Let me see how I can answer them for you. I don't have all the answers, but God does, and He's revealed that in His Son through His Word. And perhaps we can find your answers for you together. Well, thanks for listening. Take heart. Let me close with uh, this wonderful benediction in Ephesians 3.20, where Paul closes his prayer in Ephesians 3 with these words. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or understand, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen indeed.